like the American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy. Don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Welcome back to the Incense Podcast, guys. I'm Sam Eldridge. I'm Blaine. And for those of you who may not have received your copy of Volume 2 of the print yet, don't worry. It should arrive any second now. It may actually be in your mailbox this very moment. Um, for those of you who got your copy last week, uh, yeah, we're super organized. Hope you're enjoying that. Sam knows how to use a label printer officially. Hey, yeah. It's all back to my high school days. That's what I used to do here. After I know that was your first job. After school, I come here and shipping and receiving. I feel really bad for all the international orders because I'd put those off, needing to fill out the customs form by hand. So like they had to wait an extra couple of days before I could muster it up. Anyway, excited for that. It is coming out. It's beautiful, and I hope you guys enjoy it. The fact that we're about in a few days here, we have some interesting interviews coming up with scholars of various ilks, types, genres. Including an Old Testament scholar, which for me has me thinking about how much I like the Old Testament. And you know what I think the problem is? For me, it makes me think about how much I skipped his class and how <laughs> awkward that makes me feel. I'm sure he doesn't remember you. I promise <laughs> you he doesn't remember you. It's not true. I think that people fail to consider the mechanics and kind of the staging of every single scene that they ever read in the Bible. Maybe even in books generally. There's a very interesting book called What We See When We Read that says basically we see nothing. <laughs> oh, well, that's not that interesting. I, yeah, I, it's uh, there's the takeaway. <laughs> you might be a person who works to picture the scene, but also text and story bypasses the you know visual part. But I feel like the opposite isn't. They kind of everybody have like an idea of what's going on. You know, that's why when you see a movie based off of a book, we're all like, oh, they didn't look quite like I thought they would look. Right. But then you can go draw a picture and you go, oh, I kind of just pictured, I just had these two associations that weren't actually visual. It's really interesting. I'm just a bad plays artist. Out. I couldn't draw it. Oh, you could go, you go, I just kind of pictured a slightly darker brown color for that mouse. I'm thinking of red wall. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So you're talking about fur. I'm talking about fur. And kind of like a kind of, you know, slenderness and like some and kind of a metallic hardness and go. What you usually end up with is a group of associations from the scene that are not visual, but we think they're visual. This is interesting. Hey, if you're listening, try to draw a picture of a bike. This is just a classic illustration of this difficulty. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely difficult unless you've built a bike and have, you know, Unless the way the parts fit together is meaningful for you, that's a very hard thing to do. Right, because what you're going to end up drawing is two circles with like a line connecting them. Yeah, and, or and like a, a rectangle, post. and you right. go, and that's actually you know, not Emily will be drawing our daughter a bike and go, where did the handlebars go again? <laughs> and it goes, like, oh, in the front. Right, being like, oh, you, you didn't actually have a visual experience. You had 
sort of a mental holding place for a bike. Ditto, now we're getting back to ditto when you read, ditto Old Testament mechanics. And can I just share like one of my favorite stories right now? Uh, why do I feel hesitation? Yeah, go for it. You normally uh, don't ask me. That's why I'm worried. Well, I don't know. We're, it, it depends like which, how much of a rabbit trail we want to get in. I don't, I don't uh, it Well, it takes place. It's the first time. It's the first time Moses disappears up Mount Sinai and fasts for forever in front of God. And, you know, the people are camped around the base of this mountain. Right. And then... This is where he comes back and they've all, like, melted their gold. Yeah. But you, you can't skip to that. Okay. So, first, you have to say, how crazy would the mountain have to work, to have to look, with sort of fire and smoke around it? And then... These other things around it, like the glory of the Lord is around that. And to go, hang on, the glory of the Lord is not actually like light. It tends to be a character or to describe something else. And to go, don't just glaze over and go, yep, there was light, there was smoke, blah, 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 in the mountain. Go, enjoy the mechanics of this scene. So let's say there is smoke and fire on top of a mountain. And let's say that some other weird stuff is going on. Other attributes of God yeah. are expressing themselves in the atmosphere around this mountain uh-huh. and you're probably having like a crazy visual experience of like you don't quite know what are those beings what is happening and it's so terrifying that the people come to Aaron who has spoken right to Yahweh and knows Moses and they convince Aaron hey we should make ourselves a god Aaron goes, that's not a good idea. It's not what Moses would want. And then the people go, Aaron, Moses is dead. And the scene is scary enough that Aaron thinks that might be true. He goes, yep, he went up into the presence of God and he's gone now. So Aaron, who's been deeply united with God, chooses instead to contribute to making this idol. Then they're kind of all gathered around and... uh, the scene cuts back to the top of the mountain. Moses and God are talking and God goes, your people have already broken the covenant. And Moses goes, no, no, God goes, yeah. And like all of the things that happen when you break a covenantal promise are going to happen to them now because that that's just consequences built into the universe. And Moses goes, wait, wait, let me go down there. So Moses turns and comes running down the mountain out of, like, the volcano. Out of the volcano. And so you're the people, and you're gathered around this thing that's taken a long time to make. And then some of you start to look up at the mountain, because, bear in mind, Moses is so united with God at this moment that his face is glowing in the way that the tabernacle is going to glow when the presence of God fills it. And they must have seen that. If you just go, you're standing here, you're looking up at the mountain. All of a sudden, something that looks like a spark kind of departs the rest of the fire and smoke. And someone passes the guy next to him and goes, what's that? And then, you know, concern starts to spread. And then when he gets close enough, you go, O-M-G, it's Moses, run! And everybody starts scattering because they think he's coming down the mountain to kill them because they know that's what they deserve. He comes down, he's so ripped, he's carrying stone tablets that are big enough to write a portion of the law on. Comes down, 
throws them down so hard they are utterly destroyed into fragments. They don't like crack in half. They splinter and there's like dust and his glowing face and the fire of God on the mountain and he, you know, this, what have you done? Tear down the idol and like chaos and just go, this scene, when you read through and sort of start going, his face was glowing? How, how far away was he when they probably saw him and he's carrying these things? Man, Moses must have been ripped and they like throw down this idol, melt it in a fire, and then they break it into pieces, grind it into dust, and throw the dust in a stream. It's like that level of utter annihilation. I just, I don't know why I share that. I just think it's a cool story. <laughs> I got, um, it is a cool story. And now that you've sort of triggered people to be thinking about the images of things. I think we all got to like go on a nice little visual journey. Take there. a journey. And it does make it feel like, I know there's a lot of head shaking when it comes to the Old Testament stories where you're like, you literally just walk through the sea. There's a volcano craziness going on next to you and you're like, you know, it's a good idea. But Moses is dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is how we actually got here into this cul-de-sac was a conversation we were having earlier that had to do with escaping reality. Yeah, I mean, if you can believe it, the Moses ripped glowing spark scene, d- d- demigod scene um, is actually somehow connected to video games. I know. We'll get there. We'll get there. And, and not just video games. But many escapes of reality. Yeah, so we've had kind of like an interesting journey and conversations about um, other forms of reality and other things we look to than the obvious forms of life. So um, you start this podcast off with the story of the golden calf. We don't mean to be necessarily that heavy handed with some of these alternatives. However, in Killing Lions, I wrote about um, video games and the ways that they were causing me to lose touch with reality and become kind of a crappy boyfriend and a crappy human being. And so I needed to get rid of those, like, flat out. And some young guys actually ended up emailing later on, a couple years later, and they're like, so I really love doing this with my brother, um, but I know it's got an addictive hold, and so what do you recommend? And I I responded back, I'm like, yeah, I wish there was a way to have it in just, like, little portions, but I don't think you can, which is, I think, good advice for someone with an addiction, um, Except that then like a year later, I wasn't following that advice anymore. Like you and I were using the occasional lunch break to go uh, beat the survival mode on Battlefront. First Battlefront. Yeah. Because they didn't come up, they did not have survival mode in the second one. But it, and for us, that was in the context of like needing spaces for friendship and for ease and low stakes. And also needing spaces where checking out was kind of okay mm-hmm. when most of your time is full of meaning and most of the things you do feel pretty significant we're not I mean, resolving I international conflicts here through my day feeling significant left and right no we have plenty of angst as to like, we have lots of angst but i ugh. mean engaging daughters right trying to think about how to slightly improve as a husband and friend 
Yeah. And then it just goes, just give me, give me the plug that I can sort of, well, I mean, I want to yank the plug out. I don't like the it's image more like myself the, plugging the, myself the into release something. Valve. That conversation happens a lot. And this isn't exactly about video games, but it's an interesting example where guys will go, yeah, I understand that they, they're, they're powerfully addictive and they have a loose connection with reality. And this is a place where I connect with my brother. And I go, I just guarantee you, you're not actually, if the only thing you can do is play video games together, that doesn't actually sound like connecting. And I don't actually really view our battlefront mastery as connection time. I, it's like, I like it because it happens inside an ecosystem of activities where there is real connection time, real conversation, but to go, we can't really relate. So let's use video games as a pathway into relating. There are probably scenarios where that is totally legit and a great option. I'm just also aware that when we're talking about reality, our engagement from reality, our desire to escape reality, that is really worth evaluating what what avenue we use into relief, relationship, connection, brotherhood. Yeah, so we had to come up, as we're thinking about this, some categories for things that are genuine Sabbath and release valves. I remember... I was having a, a a counseling session and I was talking about how like I was only looking forward to my bike ride in the day um, and everything else was just kind of grind. And the, the person who was counseling me said, that is your medication. You need medicine. You need these things. And, and medication doesn't need to have this stigma around it because you take medicine for wellness and bless that like there are good ways of living that out. Now, there are ways when it slips into addiction and it's a problem, um, and that actually ends up being true for pretty much everything, and I think I didn't have eyes to see that at first because socially, we're we're just wired to think of some things as being more okay than others, and it was actually a conversation with uh, one of the moms, one of the other coworkers here, and it was him and his wife, we were talking about their son, so and they were wrestling with the fact that for their son his joy was video games but for someone else's son their joy might be basketball and the ways that addiction may be playing out could be the exact same for both but socially we're all okay with like the kid who's outside shooting hoops for eight hours even though he could be just as alone and just as addicted and just as crappy of a human being there's just certain things where we go like oh well that's fine because at least he's outside and you're like ah Oh, okay. So Yeah, right. You're looking for the evaluating tool here. We're heavy-handed with things like technology and video games and virtual reality because we're like, that. you are escaping from reality. But how often is that the case with the, the football game or the novels you're reading or, and, and then, you know, so on and there's so many other things that you do that with, which required this test, right? Because... We're not going to start saying like, well, any escape from any escape from reality is bad. And you're like, well, then why did why did all these wonderful authors write fiction? Like those are a, a quote unquote escapes from reality. So clearly, there needs to be some other thing that we're looking at here. I know the the hardcore realist in me goes, we can't evaluate these. The channels are different. 
their impact on human beings is measurable. And it's a really interesting thing. We actually got here several days ago by another conversation about virtual reality escape rooms. And they're really cool. And there's like a Star Wars one now. Have you seen this thing? I think I showed you a trailer for it a year ago where it's a virtual reality experience and you go on a Star Wars mission. That sounds awesome. And I was watching it. I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. I hate that. Oh, my gosh. How is that different than watching a movie? You stumble on the ancient debate of qualia, which the philosophers in the audience are going to say, if you have... If you could, if you have like if you completely understand the an experience if you grasp it intellectually one hundred percent is there anything different with actually experiencing it anyway I'm I see the trail I'm going to pull out of it and go my reaction against VR uh, sort of leads to a territory where we go oh man but VR is not the only way. People choose to dodge their worlds. And so are there real ways that we can point to differences in like medication, relief, Sabbath, recreation? Like how do you actually talk about these categories in a way that is actually provides relief to a person knowing, oh my goodness, I don't have to stay. I'm not hard charging all the time. I'm not thinking about... I'm not thinking every minute of every day about the initiation of my soul. Right. While also going, yes, and you're always going to be a human being operating inside the thing that is human nature. Right. And there are always going to be things that produce a particular kind of effect inside human nature that you got to be aware of. Yeah. So I think back to our conversation with Dr. Randy James and his example of like the the night where you do the the nachos or the the ice cream and the cake because you want to just relax. You're like, let's watch a movie and have some ice cream. And then do you feel better at the end of that? Was that actually like the medication, the relief that you were seeking for? Was it just this moment of actual addiction to sugar and to screens? And he was pointing out that most of, not all of the time, after that bowl of ice cream, you feel terrible. And so the fruit of it isn't like this internal sigh, and now I'm able to like go engage the rest of my life better. It's actually kind of a sugar hangover, and you think about how you wish you'd been going for runs more frequently, and you go to bed feeling crappy. And so like we know these things, but then the next Friday night rolls around, and I- I'm tempted to throw the nachos in the oven, and I think it's wonderful. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. For the relief. Yeah. And so... like. There are some, I think, really obvious ways that we can have our personal tests of, uh, is this thing making me better, more wholehearted? Is this thing, and if I was, high school me is rolling his eyes at current me, going like, oh, not everything I do in life needs to make me better. When I'm going out on a bike ride, I'm not thinking about being a better person. I'm purely thinking of like letting everything else go and just focusing on the 50 feet of road in front of me for however long the bike ride is. And maybe if I'm with someone having some conversation about how hard this hill is, I don't want to hear about their life. I just want to go for a ride. And like, that's okay. I don't need to be going into every moment of medicine or Sabbath thinking, how is this going to make me into a better person in a half an hour? 
However, the fruit of it is super clear half an hour later if I went into it to like just numb some things or if I went into it to like breathe a little bit. You see, that is helpful to me because I don't like saying leaving reality, there are good times to do that. And I think the reason is, is because the bike ride you described was not a departure of reality. It was simply going, you don't have to engage your entire experience all the time. And when I go on a run, I go, it's just going to be nice to all I have to think about is moving, making a few steps. I get in this automatic zone where there is a lot of relief. I'm giving everything to God for the next two hours. I don't run for two hours. For the for next 25 minutes right now, if you're me. I'm just trying to get back into running, guys. I was injured last year. Uh, and that involves deliberately releasing most of my world. The distinction I see is I'm not trying to separate myself in some deep way from my life in a way that I, that, you know, you see in, in compulsive anything in, in the small story, like you gave the example of the obsessed basketball player and the, the obsessed video game player and go, there can be a switch where the motive, the enduring motive is just, I do not want to be a participant in my life at all and go, ooh, that's hard for me. And man, you said, is that really different? It's interesting watching my response because I go, I would, oh, the compulsive basketball player is way better because, you know, being outside, embodied cognition, movement, all those things like contribute to wellness in ways that like a, the same span of time spent on a VR journey, I would go, ugh. But did it help you? It makes me think of how when you're encouraging kids to play, it's markedly better if they get to build the universe. So it's better. When we say better, we mean it will promote creativity, pattern recognition, social skills, empathy, the things we think humans ought to be able to do. It will be better to give a kid a blank doll than a Batman because they create the story for the blank doll and that engages more of their being than here's Batman and he's really Bruce Wayne and that's what his identity is and all you have to do is find the answer to a bunch of questions people already know and then you just inhabit that world for a while. That really seems to be not as good. And I do like my Batman figurines that are actually still in the bin at our parents' house somewhere. Right, but... There's plenty of stories of where the kid that's outside playing basketball is actually not a healthy human being. And though we do like that they're moving their body, we do like that they are outside, maybe, though more likely they're inside of a gym. Uh, my, in my mind, they're outside in their like driveway, um, but 
more than likely they're they're just in this thing, which is a world that's created for them, and they have all of the rules and all the expectations, and it's the fleeing from reality as well. And so, yes, the, the things we know about the mind, there clearly are stages where the things that you wrestle with yourself, so like our two-year-old, needs to be able to create that world for herself. But when it comes to reading a story, it's actually really wonderful and a means of learning to watch other stories and other characters play things out and then you can learn these things of mirroring and empathy and the idea that you don't have to learn all of the world's lessons the first time. Um, so it's why we can like things like Lord of the Rings because I don't have to create that whole world and it just expands outward and it's this really inviting thing. And I, I recognize that the books I read these days, as we mentioned in the Developing a Culture of Readers podcast, there are ways that loving story can help us read the story all around us and can help us read the story of the Bible. And like, if you didn't, if you're not a student of those sorts of things, then you don't get to apply all the benefits from them. But it just ends up feeling really complex, right? Because um, when I read a book these days, sometimes it's purely like I need to not be thinking about running errands or answering emails or trying to like figure out how to make our finances work this month. I just want to like read a book where the good guys beat the bad guys. Okay. Uh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Are you ready? Yeah. This is what I see. If you do not have a rhythm, if you do not like live in a way and at a pace that is regularly providing like relief, refreshment, satisfaction to your soul, then the only thing available will be the sort of sugar rush caffeine thing of what I would name as escape. And I think, not to dive into the terms again, but it seems like the equivalent of if you're not sleeping enough, your only recourse is caffeine. And I have those days and weeks where it's like, oh man, what I actually need is, you know, to find a way to, like, take part of a sick day, leave work a little early, go take a nap without going home, because that wouldn't be a nap, drive part of the way and sleep in the back of my CRV, but go, what I need is to fall asleep right now. Right. But without that, the only thing, the thing that feels like the next best option is just to drink five cups of coffee that day. Okay, so this is good, right? Like, there are some things you're going to be identifying deeper needs and trying to cover them with temporary solutions. And it and just to go, it doesn't penetrate, which is right. when I look at like, I like Battlefront as much as the next guy. And if it is the thing I'm reaching for, it goes like, oh man, that, the, the repeated reaching for that kind of thing, which it can be, it tracks onto basketball and go, oh, if it's something that doesn't actually have, like, it is not generative, it doesn't have penetrating power, you'll find yourself reaching again and again for a departure from reality because engaging your reality in a way that actually makes it life-giving is too difficult. Right. So I I also think of the story of dad and fly fishing um, and the ways that something that started out as really good and really uh, Sabbath-filled and a place of connection with God turned into addiction and escape and needed to have the pause put on it for a while. 
And it's something that if you were to like talk about without somebody understanding the deeper waters of your heart, you'd be like, yeah, so I've been going fly fishing a lot. And I think it's becoming a problem. Most people would be like, what? You're outside. You're in nature. This is a place where God speaks to you. Why? How could there ever be too much of that? And you're like, well, there's obviously too much of that when you are also a father and a husband. And this is a place that you're turning to as like an obsession. All of a sudden, something that was good is no longer good. And the fruit of it is uh, harder to tell just from the label, but I think we see it in our own lives. And it's a question that I've asked myself of like, if my love of triathlon turns into something that is making me choose it over family, it's no longer a good thing. Like I have a higher structure of goods and as long as it makes me into a healthy, happy, engaged father and husband, like then it's great. It's awesome. And it provides like the relief that I'm looking for. As soon as it provides, mm, no, not provides, as soon as it gets in the way of all those other things that I value more, well, then it's become a problem, right? And so that's where the heavy handed like X is good, Y is bad, which I started with back in Killing Lions of like, all of these things are going to be bad. No video games, always outside. It's like, well, okay. Unfortunately, life has proven to be demanding a little bit more interaction than that. Than that. Yes. It feels like the deeper conversation is, are you living in a way that is bringing rest to your soul? Which is one of the great promises of a life with God. And that's the ancient paths in Jeremiah. Like, find the ancient paths and walk them. You will find rest for your soul. That's, to pick an example at random, Psalm 23. That's like, this is deep in a life with God, is that you are living in a way that is actually uh, where you are satisfied. Often, not just as a rare experience of, you come back from a Sabbath-filled vacation and go, that's what satisfaction can feel like, but that that can, that can become a base state. We're looking to live in a way, and given that we're in a world that is very messed up and we're in a battle, we also need to understand other things like everybody is medicating, and it's not in principle bad, and you need to evaluate the things that are medication for you. I think of video games the same way that I actually think about tobacco, where I really love cigars. And if it was like, yeah, cigars are my relief, all of a sudden it would go, wait, 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 that's objectively bad for you. (laughs) Like a cigar every single day, like that should not be done. You're going to mess with your mouth, your throat, your laryngopharynx. Uh, And no, that's, we can actually accurately evaluate things to sort of to figure out what frequency is helpful and to go, I wouldn't smoke all the time. I wouldn't say video games are my relief. So just, you know, every day I just need 30 minutes. I'm just kidding. Everyone who plays video games every day, it's like a lot more than that. (laughs) Uh, And to go, absolutely, that inside your ecosystem of activities in proportion to its effect on your understanding of 
your body, soul, and spirit. And there is a real charge here to discover and then like begin to choose a lifestyle that is continuously healing and promoting the wellness of your being. A really practical example is in a demanding stage, the sort of, you know, per unit output of my Sabbath matters. It has to be really effective. It has to be a powerful dose. And I go, yeah, I would, I love bike riding, but you need 30, 40, 60 minutes for that. Daughter's in bed. What I really want to do is keep reading that novel I'm really enjoying. And that looks like a perfectly legitimate pastime where reading and playing the piano, which if you kind of go back to the Victorian era, are the things that you point to to say a person is idle and bored, are now things that we look at and go, that's legit. That, wow, what an honorable way to spend an evening. And I go, actually, the neuroscience of reading suggests that it is helpful. I just playing the piano and... It would be reaching for escape, relief, checking out for me that night. And I was like, I actually know what I need to do is to do just 20 minutes of contemplative prayer slash mindfulness practice. Like, I'm going to turn out the lights. I'm going to sit on the floor. I'm going to direct my heart towards an experience of God. And like, I'm going to be still. I'm going to be aware of my surroundings. And I'm going to use some of the things out of our recent interview with Dr. Stone and go, that is actually what I need right now because that is generative to the life of my soul. Yeah. This one, this whole episode really did feel like kind of a throw the flag on the field and say, maybe ask some questions about the things that you are looking to or are avoiding because they seem from the outside to be either like totally noble and therefore totally acceptable for you to keep doing them. Or they seem like, oh, I really don't have time for that and I'm going to choose not to go do this thing because I know it's medicating some other issues and I've just got to press in more. So like on both ends of the spectrum, there's like the flag is on the field for you to go, is the thing that you're doing as your escape actually giving you the life that you are looking for? And sometimes it, it is because God can meet you there and there's like a there's a whole personal journey available in everything that you love with God. And there's also plenty of cases in my own life where I've chosen not to do self-care because it felt selfish, which is also a really good indicator that you are running on fumes. And you just that pace of always engaging, always pressing in, always excavating isn't healthy. That's not biblical. You need those rhythms. You need those places to pull back from. And Jesus did it all the freaking time. And so if you're on the one end, this episode is that like, uh, just because it maybe is fly fishing and we all think that's okay all the time, maybe ask if it is becoming an addiction. And if you're choosing not to go fly fishing because you don't have the time for it, we also sacrifice those things first, I found. So it's this really interesting like world that I've had so many conversations about and have realized I don't get to be heavy-handed with anymore and also don't get to be like mad at myself that I need I need medicine 
and it looks like different ways than I thought it did. It introduces a whole set of questions around Sabbath and rest and rhythm where it goes, you can just come in and go, how are you medicating? And then ask, is it working? How effective is that? And then go, what would it look like to a, to ch- maybe even radically change your practice in a way that you're just doing better? I can point around and go, like, how are you medicating? Is it with always having people over? And I, I think of the ones that we go, you look at the stressed person who's super engaged in their church life and go, you're medicating, you're escaping, it's all there. It just looks really legit because you're always praying for teenagers, but you're not well and you can't actually offer anything you're not living yourself. So the good, I say in quotes that you're doing, is not through you, it's in spite of you. And I can actually say that of many seasons where actually my escape and medication, the thing that has sustained me is just the next thing like the sugar rush of the next thing. And I can really look at it and go, yeah, many of my relationships, those people, like God came for them. And I really believe that he came not through uh, the centered reality of my life, but actually just because he's kind and accessible and wasn't going to let like my freneticness stop him accessing some person. So what are you using to medicate? Is it working? And then what are the practices? It can sound annoying, except that it goes, you know what? It eventually is not going to work. And things that actually provide rest, you will like them. So Mm -hmm. this isn't just a buzzkill of now you don't get to smoke cigars or play video games or run compulsively. (laughs) It's like, no, 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 no. You will like having a soul that is doing well. Right. But this is like almost conversation 2.0, right? Like we're making an assumption, A, that everybody's doing this, but B, that you are not choosing to do it through pornography or alcohol or any number of other like obviously harmful things. We're like going to the, the next step when you've gotten, you've like healed those places and and move forward, it's then like the, eh, you know, you're called to be living further up and further in and into more holiness. And so yeah, I know you've, you've substituted those old ways with newer ways. And how are those newer ways working? They may be very good. They also may not be. And unfortunately, we are called to wrestle with those things. And I say unfortunately, because that can kind of feel like a bummer that you have to evaluate it again but it's super helpful it's super revealing because the fruit of getting rid of the negative things even if they look positive is that you're going to be healthier which is so so good and holier which is even better yeah and i hear sort of the how in there too which goes ask god he will tell you you hear god if you're afraid that he does it First of all, don't worry. Second of all, ask for him to get through to you by other means if the conversational thing is really stressful right now. I would ask these questions as you identify, how am I medicating? How is it working? Then I would ask Jesus to show you, what am I medicating? Like, 
what is it under there? What actually needs to be addressed by God? And then I would ask, where are you inviting me into some rest? Because though it might come as a shock, you will like the invitation. And I just know that the times I've asked God about it, he'll be like, I want you to stop X project. I want you to no longer meet with those two young guys. They're fine. They're fine. I got them and you could use the time. And I'd like you instead to blank, whatever it is. Like that practice that you liked of just walking through the woods, looking at stuff, take it up again. Yeah, it's good. So we're going to go practice this right now and go do some laps in the pool in the middle of the day because we need the mental break from engaging and thinking and wrestling and writing and just to engage the physical for a little while. So hope this has been helpful for you guys and maybe stirred some things up and maybe it's been unhelpful for you because you're irritated that we've sort of poked a hole in the thing that you thought was working and really isn't. And future you, you're welcome. 